So a few years ago, our daughter Lexi was taking care of our youngest daughter, Addie. Now we've trained our children to respond to instructions with yes, dad, or yes, mom. So well, Lexi was giving Addie some instructions and Addie was saying, okay. So Lexi was telling her, no, you say yes, ya, ya, which is what Addie calls Lexi, yes, ya, ya. But Addie was having none of it. She finally declared and made a statement that we have uh, used as an expression in our household many times since. Okay, fine. Now, to use okay, fine properly, it has to be done the right way, which is it has to be nonchalant, and it has to have a really good pace to it. Okay, fine. That's it. Okay, fine. Our passage this morning is making demands upon us as believers. There is a call for us to welcome one another with all of our non-essential differences of opinion. What we cannot do is say, okay, fine, I'll welcome you, but I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to enjoy this. I'm not going to do this with a good spirit. Okay, fine. Look at these passages in Romans 15, beginning in verse 1. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, I want us to notice to start this that Paul is addressing the strong. Of course, that's all of us. <laughs> because we all think that we're right about everything. So he's addressing all of us. Those that disagree with us, of course, are the weak. Okay, fine. Whatever position you take, here are some instructions for you. Whether you're strong, you're weak, they're strong, they're weak, these instructions are for you. He tells us that we have an obligation. An obligation to the weak. This is for all of us. We have an obligation. This is an O. That's what he, he uses the same word in Romans 13 and in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. So there's an obligation. There's an owe. There's a debt that we have. There's a debt that all men owe. And that's a debt to one another. To bear with the failings of the weak. He says, uh, uh, Paul is giving us some obligations from God about how we are to care for or love one another. So he starts. This very first obligation is to bear with one another's weaknesses. Bear with one another's weaknesses. Again, look at verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak 
and not to please ourselves. The word for bear with is a word that means to take up in order to carry. To take up in order to sustain. To take up in order to uphold. It's not like, okay, lift him up out of the dirt and say, now stand on your own two feet, buddy. It's to, it's to lift up and to keep on lifting up. It's to bear with one another. Or to bear up one another. And he says to bear up one another in their failings. That's an interesting word that talks about the infirmities or weaknesses of the mind. Bear with the weaknesses of those, and then he says, of the weak. Bear with the failings or weaknesses of the weak. The word there is adunitas. It means to be without power. Bear with those who are failing in their mind and don't have the ability. They're they're without the ability to rise up. And so what do you do? Come alongside of them and lift them up and help them and sustain them and encourage them. This passage is calling for compassion rather than criticism. Criticism comes naturally. Doesn't it? I don't like the color of your house. I don't like the kind of car you drive. I don't like the clothes you're wearing. I don't like the music you listen to. I don't like the places you go. I don't like, I don't like, I don't. we all know what we don't like. It's easy to criticize people. But what's called for in this passage is not criticism, but it is instead compassion. And what's really amazing is this compassion that he's calling you and me, you and I, too, is the same kind of compassion that he calls us to elsewhere that is embodied in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want for us to think about it in that, in that way. We're talking about bearing with one another's weaknesses. And we've been told something similar in the book of Galatians. It's on the screen to my left and right. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Brothers... If anyone, just stop right there. That's universal language, right? So we don't limit our scope, we broaden our scope. If anyone is caught in any transgression. See again the broadening scope? We're not talking about the little white lies. We're not talking about the larger deception. We're not talking about the deepest lies. We're talking about all of it. If anyone is tripped up, caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual, or could we say strong, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? How difficult is that spirit of gentleness to come by? It is it is amazingly difficult. It does not arise from our own natural resources. Gentleness is a gift of God's Spirit. Thankfully, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit dwells within us. And therefore, that gentleness is near at hand. What it requires, it requires us to say, Lord, I need, I need fruit from You. I need you to bring this to pass. So, if anyone is overtaken by any trespass, you who are spiritual uh, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, you could fall prey to the very same thing. You're not so strong. 
you're not so spiritual. So, when I say that, you know that I'm saying, I'm not so strong. I'm not so spiritual. We're not so strong. We're not so spiritual. Very easily can you and I fall into the same trespass that we might look so harshly down upon another. So he says, restore one another in a spirit of meekness or gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves lest you also be tempted. And then he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Bear up. Carry along. Uphold one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Be an available person that when a person is in their deepest need, you are a person that's reliable to come alongside of them, not to criticize them, but to help them. Now, let's take a moment and think about that for a second. Because you are of like sinful flesh. So you're not so strong. And here you are coming alongside of someone else who's not so strong. So you have two weak and wounded people struggling together. But that's not the end of the story. We have someone to point them to. And he's never weak. He's always strong. He can always bear the weight of my weaknesses. And he can always bear the weight of your weaknesses. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. This is good news, friends. This bearing of one another's burdens, this bearing with the failings of the weak is not a ministry that is left to us. It is a ministry of which we are a vehicle or an avenue or a channel. A channel of God's amazing compassion. God's amazing mercy. God's amazing grace. We've experienced it. We've tasted it. We've felt it. We've been upheld by it. And this is the the one to whom we point our brothers and sisters and our neighbors that do not yet know Christ. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4. I was going to talk about the ministry of our great high priest. Now a high priest presents God to man and presents man to God. He presents God to man. This is what God is like. I want you to know God. He presents God to man. Jesus is the greatest high priest because He was not just pointing us to God. He is God. He is the express uh, image, the exact image of the Father. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. So He doesn't just present the Father to us. He He is God and He presents God. So He's a great high priest in that regard. And then He takes Me, a broken, wounded sinner, a weak and lowly one, and He presents Me to God. It's an amazing thing. This is what this passage is going to talk about. This high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Believe Him. He's already lived. He's already died. He's already been raised. He's already ascended. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Hold on to Him. Believe Him. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest who's unable to feel with us And have compassion on us. 
in our weaknesses. What kind of weaknesses might he be talking about? Well, the second half of the verse tells us he was in all points tempted. He was in every respect. He has been tempted as we are. What does it say next? Yet without sin. Now let's stop there for a second. You know you. I know me. And we kind of know mankind. When you and I have accomplished something, easy, medium, or hard, when we've accomplished it and we see someone else failing along at that same task, we say, like, I did it. You can do it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. You've had that said to you. Maybe you've said it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Well, here Jesus is. He's lived perfectly. Never catered. Never gave in to sin. And in His looking at us, the failing weak ones, He doesn't say, can't you do better? I did it. He has compassion on us. He has sympathy for us. He feels with us in our weaknesses. Even though He was tempted in every respect like we are, yet without sin. Because our high priest is like this, who has compassion on us in our weaknesses, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have every reason to go boldly to the throne of grace. That's what he says in verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive what? Condemnation? Criticism? Judgment? No. Mercy. We need to find mercy and find grace to help. When? Right when you need it. Right in the nick of time is what our Savior provides. He bears with us in our weaknesses. And we're called to bear with one another in our weaknesses. To carry one another in our weaknesses. But I'm too weak for that. But I know who's not too weak for that. That's the good news. Our mindset isn't you're weak and I'm strong. Come look at me and my strength. Our mindset is you're weak. I'm weak. But look at our Savior. He never cherished sin in His heart. He never caved under pressure. And yet in His love and in His kindness, He is sympathetic toward us. And I'll just say toward me. He's sympathetic toward me. Let us look to Him. He can handle our weaknesses. This is the best way that we can come alongside of one another is to constantly remind each other That He can handle your sorrows. He can handle your anxieties. He can handle your disappointments. He can handle your weakness. He can handle your sin. We constantly point one another back to our Savior who can handle the weight of our weaknesses. He always lives, the Bible tells us, He always lives to make intercession for us. He never tires of our coming to Him. Can can we try to get that through our head? 
That doesn't come easily. He never tires of our coming to Him. He never looks at us when we come to Him and says, Oh, you again? Now, parents, when you're taking a shower and your child's pounding on the door, how does that feel? Or you're doing other unmentionable things like going to the bathroom. I mentioned it. I mentioned the unmentionable. And they're pounding on the door. Daddy! Mommy! Daddy! It's like, sometimes we can grow weary of people that we love coming to us. That's familiar. This we understand. What we don't understand is a God that every time I come never says, oh, same, same problem, different day. Always. Can't you just get over it? Can't you just master this? Shouldn't you be further along by now? This is not our Savior. And this is good news. Because if that's how He dealt with us, we'd say, I'm not going there. But every time, every time we come to Him, He is faithful. And every time we come to Him, He is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every time we come, we find Him to be the same compassionate, merciful, grace-giving, life-giving God. He is so good. Are you weak? I'm weak. Are you weak? I'm weak. But He is not. And so we come along one another in our weaknesses and we say, look, look at the strong one who can bear with us in all of our weaknesses and He doesn't grow tired of us. It's just an amazing thing. And if we, if we, don't, if we don't get it in our heads, we'll stop coming to Him. But He calls out to you and He says, come, come to Me, all you who are weak, all you who are heavy laden. I, I will give you, I will from my abundance give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm gentle. I will give you exactly what you need. He's so good. So we don't come as the strong and say, let me look around for all the weak people that I can help out. No, no, no. No, they're everywhere, including the one you look at in the mirror. There they are. So let's welcome one another, understanding that you're weak and I'm weak, but he is strong. Keep pointing one another to him. It's a source of encouragement and a source of refreshment. It's a source of life that God gives us. Head back, please, with me to Romans 15. Obligations. These are obligations. These, God says, you strong ones, bear with the failings of the weak. And then He goes on and He tells us really to benefit one another. Benefit one another. At the end of verse 1, He says, and not to please ourselves. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on Me. 
For whatever was written in former times or former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. He tells us not to please ourselves. Well, that's the most unnatural thing we do is to not please ourselves. That's unnatural. Pleasing ourselves comes very naturally. My breath stinks. I'm going to brush my teeth. If you don't do that, don't just chuck gum in your mouth. It only has a little bit of a help, right? If your, ba- if your breath stinks, maybe brush your teeth. Use a little bit of mouthwash. You know what I mean? Um, it's natural. Uh, you're hungry? Eat. You're thirsty? Drink. You're hot? You turn on the AC or you put the windows down, whatever it is your, thi- your thing is. It's natural to please ourselves. It is unnatural not to please ourselves. We'll, we'll remember, I think, in this life, all our days, the statement of Samson to his parents. Remember what he said about the Philistine girl? Get her for me, for she pleases me well. She pleases me. I want her. Go get her for me. This is natural. That's how we operate. We see something we want, and we go and get it. What would motivate you, what would motivate me, not to please ourselves? He gives us two motivating factors here. First of all, it's the good of our brothers and sisters in verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. A second motivating factor is the example of our Savior Jesus Christ in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So in welcoming one another into the fellowship, we desire to help one another be built up in the faith. So we come alongside of one another. We encourage one another with gospel truth. We remind one another that our sufficiency is found in Christ. As a part of the discipleship to which Jesus Christ has called us to, we teach one another all the things that He's commanded us. In other words, we're reminding one another of Him constantly. In Ephesians 4, there is an emphasis upon speaking the truth in love, and that results in building up our brothers and sisters in Christ. You can read through it. Verse, uh, verse 15 talks about speaking the truth in love. Verse 16 talks about how we're all joined to the head. Christ, He gives the nourishment. But through the body, we edify ourselves in love. So God is calling us to this good, one another's good, and building up. This is something that we're all called to. So I have a couple of questions for you to just kind of ponder. Do you have someone in your life who is spending time talking to you about our glorious God. Shares with you, reminds you constantly about who Christ is and what Christ has done and what that means. Do you have someone doing that in your life? Do you have someone in your life that you're reading Scripture with? That's, that's encouraging you by what the Scriptures say. It's so valuable. None of us want to force ourselves on you. But I want you to know this. If you don't have someone in your life that's talking with you about the Lord, that's reading Scripture with you, contact the church office. We'll, we'll set someone up with you so you can have someone that's, that's feeding on the Scriptures with you. It's, it's vitally important. In verse 3, 
Paul points to the example of Jesus Christ as a motivating factor for us to please our neighbor. It says, again, I've I've read it a few times now. I want to read it one more time. For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now this is, try, try to envision this, okay? Here we are, sinners. Our sin is a reproach to God. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I'll just point that way. It's just a symbolic representation of the cross of Christ, right? The reproaches of those who reproached you, Father, fell on me, the Son. Christ didn't please Himself. He came to do the will of the Father. What was that? To become the sin-bearer. The mercy seat. The sacrifice. The, I'm going to use the word, propitiation. The settlement of God's wrath against my reproach. That's what Jesus is. Our Savior has taken the punishment for our reproachful opposition to God. Remember this, in our flesh, we are resistant to God and we are resistant to God's way. We choose our own way. Jesus took that reproach upon Himself. You know, I can't take someone else's reproaches on me, but I know who can. That's why we keep pointing people to Christ. He's done it. It is finished. Glorious. Glorious. I can't take your reproach, but He has if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Now, in verse 4, He takes this concept and He does something a little bit unique with it because He didn't just say in verse 3, Christ pleased not Himself. He goes on to quote Psalm 69. So he quotes a messianic psalm. A psalm that was pointing forward to the work of Jesus Christ. And what he does with that is lets us know that the record, the Bible, the Scriptures that we read are a source of great encouragement, endurance, instruction, and hope. We'll get to that in just a moment. But he's quoting that Scripture. And then he says in verse 4, listen to what he says. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Because the Bible records the saving work of God through Jesus Christ, we can read the Bible and receive instruction... That's what the Bible tells us is good. Endurance. The Bible strengthens us for this long process. What's the long process? It's called, I'll spell it for you, L-I-F-E. And if you don't know how to spell, which is fine, life. The Bible strengthens us for this very long process. It feels long, doesn't it? 
In the light of eternity, it's a blink. But right now, we're living in, in the moment. And so it feels very long. You have a long memory of things that have happened. You have a lot of baggage that you've, come, that you've gone through. Bring with you. The Bible gives us endurance for this long process. And then encouragement. The Bible causes us not to lose heart. The end has not arrived. You're in the process. So you're enduring hardships. And you feel the drain. And you feel the sorrow and the anxiety and the frustration. And you feel the pull toward other things. But the Bible encourages us not to lose heart. Don't stop. If you continue to sow seeds, you will reap. If you do not lose heart, you will reap a harvest. It encourages us. And then the Bible gives us hope. The Bible shows us what the end is like. That all these struggles, all of our weaknesses, will come to an end. It's not forever. Your physical sorrows, your physical uh, struggles, the pain you feel, it's not forever. Your emotional turmoil, your anxieties and discouragements and depression, it's not forever. Your spiritual baggage, the the challenges where you feel that fight inside of you, where the Spirit wants you to do and move in this direction, and your flesh says, let's go that way, that's not forever. It's going to come to an end. It's going to come to an end. There's hope. There's hope. And who's going to bring that end about? Not me, not you, not us, but Him. There's hope. The Bible does this for us. Which is why we encourage you, open the Scriptures, open the Scriptures, read what it says. We'll talk. I want to I add to that concept in just a moment. There's something fascinating that God does in this passage. You see those, those results of God's Word? Instruction, endurance, encouragement, and hope. He's going to utilize three of those statements and apply it to a different source than the Scriptures. I want you to see it because it's really important for us in how we read the Scriptures. In verses 5 and 13, he attributes these same character traits to God Himself. In his prayer. Look at what he says in verse 5. May the God of endurance and the God of encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. We'll stop reading there. You see that God is a God of endurance? That God is a God of encouragement? Look down at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. To just briefly make a few important points from these verses. We look to God by looking at what He has revealed about Himself in the Bible. God uses the truth of the Bible 
to provide instruction, to provide endurance. God uses the contents of the Scriptures to provide encouragement and to offer and provide for us hope. I'm very hesitant about this next statement, but it's got to be said. So I want you to listen and I want you to try to comprehend without an immediate judgment. These results of endurance, encouragement, and hope do not happen by simply reading the words of Scripture. It's not like reading a spell. You know, a spell, you probably don't cast them. But you've heard about a spell. Chant this word, chant this word, chant this word, hocus pocus, and there it is. That's what we want to happen when we read the Bible. But that's not how it works. Mechanically, we open our Bibles and we have our devotional time, and now suddenly I'm spiritual. Hallelujah! It's wonderful. It's not, it's not how it works, friends. The Bible provides instruction, endurance, encouragement, and hope, but they come as a gift, a grace gift from God. He is the source. So it's not as if we read these words and now I'm settled. Well, I've been reading my Bible. You have definitely heard someone say this in their complaints. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. It's not a magic formula, friends. You're not dependent on a book. It's the Word of God. But you're not dependent on words. You're depending on the source of those words. These are inspired words of God. The words don't change you. He does. We need Him. God has not tried to make us dependent upon a book. Not dependent upon a meeting. Not dependent on other people. Dependent on Him. Now, as a people, we gather together. So we point one another to Him. We point one another to what He says because He is the source of endurance. He is the source of encouragement. He is the source of hope. Don't think that there's some formula that's going to make you spiritual. Only God can do that. Look to Him. Look to Him. This is why we need one another. Because it's very easy for us to get off track and find our own way. And what you and I do for one another is say, no, no. Take a deep breath. Look to Him. He is faithful. He is not going to leave you. He is not going to forsake you. Look to Him. He has what you need and He'll provide it. Look in the Scriptures so you can see Him. So this change happens as we're looking to God and looking to what the Scriptures say about God. A major error needs to be avoided. That is to look at the Scriptures as a book to tell me what to do. As we look at the Scriptures, we're looking to see what God has already done. What God provides. The Scriptures expose us but they also reveal who God is to us. 
And in this exposure of myself, I learn, man, I am unreliable and I can't count on myself. And as God is unveiled before my eyes in the Scriptures, I say, He's reliable. I need Him. I want Him. There's nowhere else to go. There is nowhere else to have eternal life but by coming to you. Will you go away also? No! Where else are we going to find the words of life? We find them in Him. So we look to Him. We say, Lord, I need You. So the Bible unveils us. It reveals God. And it shows us what He has done for us. The Bible is about who God is and what God has done for us. And this now turns our attention in verses 5 and 6 to a prayer of Paul. Now we know this is the Bible, right? Which means he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is a divinely inspired prayer. And so I think that reality should really foster some encouragement in and of itself. That God is showing us His thoughts toward how He's dealing with us. Look at verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've talked about the fact that we need to bear with one another's weaknesses and benefit one another. We're doing this. We're not pleasing ourselves. We're pleasing one another for our good, for our edification by pointing to Christ, right? We're looking at it. We see it in the Scriptures. We see it in the example of Christ. This is good. And now, as we look at this next section, we're talking about binding our hearts for the glory of God. Binding our hearts for the glory of God. First, I want for us to notice that Paul is not appealing to the Roman church to bind their hearts but appealing to God to bind their hearts. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live this way. God is the one who grants or gives or graces us with harmony. It's a great word, that word grant. Ditto me in the Greek. It's like, here's a present. Now may God give you the present of harmony. You know, there are all kinds of ways that people strategize to foster unity. They have team building exercises and whatever else they do. Uh, We've got our mission statement and our vision statement and our core values and all these things are supposed to make us unified. There's a, a, a form of unity that those kinds of things produce, but there is nothing like divinely given unity. There's nothing like that in all the world. I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. We can try to manufacture unity, but it will only be marginally helpful. Real unity comes as a work of God. And in Ephesians 4, he he discusses it briefly. Beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians 4, look at what God's Word says. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which He has called you. How do we walk? We walk with all humility and gentleness. We walk with patience. We walk bearing with one another in love. It's very similar to what we're talking about, isn't it? In Romans 15. Look what he says in verse 3. Eager to 
maintain the unity of the Spirit, the unity that belongs or comes from the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he's telling us, walk along. You've been called, called by His name. All the families in heaven and earth are called by the name of the Father. We've been called His children, which is why we can cry out and say, Abba, Father, walk in a manner that demonstrates you're my child. There are some character traits in verse 2. Humility and gentleness. Patience and bearing with one another in love. And what the desire is, is to make sure that we don't squander away, spit away, throw away the Spirit-produced unity that God grants to us. That's what he's saying in Romans 15. May the God of all endurance and encouragement grant you to have a mind, is what the concept is, to live in harmony. Grant you. It's a gift from God. In Colossians, he says it this way. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Being knit. They didn't say knit yourselves together in love. They're those that have been knit. Who's doing this? God is. God is. It's a gift. It's a gift of grace. And I treasure it, friends. I've been pastoring this church coming up on 20 years. I can't tell you. Like, we're not the, like, this, we're certainly by, by, far from perfect, because I'm here to, to start with. We're far from perfect. But one thing that I can tell you and I can, I can point to for 20 years is that lo- the Lord has granted to us a significant other earthly unity in this church. That doesn't mean every person at every time is always perfectly happy. People have come and gone. But the core of this church has been together for 20 plus years. The Lord has granted to us unity. And and we should never take that for granted. It is a work of Him. His work. We say, Lord, thank You. And what I don't want to do is spit it away. Because I've got to have my agenda accomplished. I have all my opinions. And we've got to do it my way. And if it's not my way, it's the highway. If you don't like it, you can see those two doors in the back. You can, you know, those kinds of things are just not very helpful for a church. Right? Josh, come back. I'm only kidding. God grants us unity. He grants us fellowship. He grants us this love that binds us together. And we say, Lord, thank You. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you this unity. And he says at the end of verse 5 in our passage that this is in accord with Christ Jesus. You can put that up on the scripture, on the board for me, please. This is in accord with Christ Jesus. The, the unity that God grants us is in line with the same kind of unity we have and see in Christ. And what does it come from? He didn't please Himself. He didn't please Himself. He took our reproach on Him. The unity that God has granted has been displayed by Christ Jesus. And it's seen in His sinless, selfless, 
sacrifice. And what's the result? The result of God granting this unity. This will be on the screen as well. Verse 6. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you may in unity with the same mind is what, how it's reflected in other uh, translations. That you may together with the same mind and with one voice or you could say mouth. The word in the Greek is mouth. That you, having been joined together in mind, have, may have a mouth that glorifies the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This basically is telling you that the result of the harmony that God grants is a joyful, corporate rejoicing in a God who saves us. Can you see that? So God says, welcome one another. That's the, 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 the large overtone of the passage. Welcome one another. You who are strong, bear with the weaknesses of the powerless. Don't please yourself. Let each of you please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the reproaches of those that reproached you fell on me. And the Scriptures provide for us this endurance and this encouragement, and they provide for us hope. Now may God grant that endurance. May God grant that encouragement to you as He grants to you unity in the faith that reflects Jesus Christ. And when that's going on, when you gather together and you sing praise songs about the salvation offered, it is corroborated and authenticated. It's one mouth, one heart, one voice, one, one group, but it's one voice pleasing and glorifying God. It's, it's really a, a treasure. So he concludes by saying, so welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Our love for one another shows the world that we are Jesus' disciples. That's what it says in John 13. You'll see it flash. You know the passage. This is how all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Our worship together. So when we love one another, the world can see that we're Jesus' disciples. When we're together and we're worshiping and praising God in unity we don't have time to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 3, it'll be on the screen, just the, the reference. In Ephesians chapter 3, it talks about how God has taken Jews and Gentiles and made them into one body. So all these differences, but one unified body. It says, when that's taking place, the angelic realm looks on at the divine majesty of God in His wisdom. And they say, what is happening over there? How can that guy and that lady worship you like this? How can that guy and that guy worship like this? How can someone from uh, that different background that has these set of values worship with that guy over there that has a completely different set? And the, the angels, they don't have a mind. Their mind is blown. You see it? God, you're amazing. Your plan of wisdom to take all these people from all different backgrounds with all different experiences and all different baggage place them into the same body and they're all singing the same song it's a song of redemption it's a song that my sins have been forgiven I've been set free I've been made alive 
I have an eternal home in heaven. God, only you can do this. So here we are, surrounded by all kinds of problems in this world. And what can we do? What can we do with all these problems? Well, we can be united by God in a way that shows the world God's love. And we can be united by God praising His name, showing His wisdom to the angelic realm. What we're doing together here for the Lord matters. It matters to to give up a portion of your Sunday to worship. It matters. It makes a difference. It shows the world and it testifies to angels. God is glorified. So we're instructed to welcome one another with the same way that Christ has welcomed us and it's for the glory of God. You know, you see all of the disunity of this world. We have such extremes on all matters. Political views, economic views, social and moral views. But God is still redeeming and saving people. And someday, there will be a gathering of all these saved people who have all these different perspectives and have stood on all different sides of these issues. And they'll be there in the presence of the Lord if they've trusted Christ as their Savior. God has and will redeem proponents for abortion. God has and will redeem people who have had abortions. God has and will redeem those who have performed abortions. God has and will redeem those who have stood vehemently against abortion. And one day, all these issues and these sinfulnesses will be ground to dust. And all the wrongs will be made right. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news for all people. All sinners can be redeemed and all the sins of those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ will be remembered no more. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? There are people around you you have no idea. You have no idea. People that have gone through circumstance and they hold baggage. They hold baggage. Oh, I did this. I had an abortion. I, I brought someone for an abortion. I, I did whatever. And they have this baggage because you know the church stands against abortion and we do and we should. But we also have to support people that have been broken by it. That are living with the guilt and consequences of it. Jesus cares for them as well. His mercy is good for them. His grace abounds toward them as well. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? You have someone to offer 
to a broken world that is divided on so many things. And we can add to that division by posting this and posting that and harping on this and harping on that. How about this? Let's tell them about Jesus. He saves sinners like me and sinners like you. And He removes all of the baggage. He removes all of the sorrow. He removes all of the guilt and all of the condemnation. And one day, it'll all be over. Yeah. All, all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are born again will gather forever around the throne of God singing the songs of redemption. And I want, I want just to read one song of redemption. Be on both screens to my left and right. It says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Listen, he's talking about people from every race. Every tribe, every tongue, you may as well add every religion, every political background, conservatives and liberals and whatever you call the in-betweens. He saves people. It's easy to divide. It's hard to unite. It's not hard for Him. Let's point them to Christ. Have you have you received the gift of salvation through Christ? Will you be there singing that song of redemption about our redeemer? I I pray I pray you know Jesus as Lord and Savior and you'll be in that glorious scene saying you saved me, you saved me, you saved me and you saved him and her. We're all singing with one voice the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, You're good. Help us to be vessels of Your love, mercy, and kindness. Help us to sow seeds of peace as we point people to Jesus Christ. Help us with one heart, one voice to sing to You for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.